Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. I am Rabbi Mordecai Griffin, glad to be with you. Hope everybody is having a beautiful and wonderful morning. This is the second day of the week, a Monday morning, the week of uh, Thanksgiving. And we had uh, a beautiful wedding here yesterday and a wonderful reception uh, yesterday evening. So um, that was great. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of uh, Simcha. Uh, and uh, we are, we are uh, enjoying uh, the new day and celebrating uh, with our new couple. So welcome. Glad you were here. If you're new to our channel, please subscribe. Click the little uh, subscribe button. Be sure to click the bell icon so that you will stay up to date on all of the amazing material that we have available to us uh, today and working through um, everything that we're going through as far, as far as working through the uh, the content of our daily Aliyah. So, uh, Baruch Hashem. I want to welcome to the channel, everybody. Uh, welcome, Dominique. Glad you were here watching from Kansas City. Stephanie, welcome. You are watching from beautiful, sunny California. Celia, welcome. Glad you were here. Joy from New Hampshire, welcome. And April, watching from uh, nearby Euless, Texas. Glad you were here, April. Yara, watching today. Good evening, John from uh, India. Gabrielle from cold Germany, you say. I bet it's cold. I bet it's beautiful, though. Welcome. Glad you're here. Good evening, sir. Marie, welcome from Eden, North Carolina. She's a little bit too righteous. We're watching from the Garden of Eden there. And uh, Shoshana Brenner, glad you're here. Celia, glad you are here. And Anita, glad you are here. Welcome to uh, you. Um, who we have? Lynn, welcome. Uh, Shoshana Teeman, watching from Tulsa. Glad you are here as well. Georgia, welcome. Glad you're here. Hadassah Bauer, watching from Tulsa. Glad you're here. My beautiful wife, Shoshana, uh, Elvra, welcome. Jenea, watching from Kansas City, glad you are here. Devorah Covington, watching from Shreveport, Louisiana, welcome, glad you are here. Yiska, from Florida, Rachel, my daughter Rachel, watching from uh, Tulsa this morning. Diane, welcome. Alvaro, welcome. Daniel Town, welcome from Kansas City. Nikki, welcome from uh, the Boston area. Glad you're here representing Boston. Miguel, bienvenidos, Miguel. Azariah, one of our local Lapidniks. Claire, watching from um, South Africa. Al, welcome. Glad you are here. Who else do we have? Shem. There's Shem from Tulsa. Glad you're here. Melvin from uh, Vista, California. Welcome, Melvin. Juan, the Holy One. Glad you are here. And uh, who else do you have? Miss, Missy. Or Missa, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, Maria, look at all these beautiful people. Such a uh, wonderful, wonderful time. And Ella Sheva Blair watching from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Let me fix my picture. I just realized it's crooked. We can't have that, can we? It's going to drive me crazy. As my uh, daughter Hadassah says, I'm a bit OCD in those areas. So my chair hit the picture. So sorry about that. All right, so let's look at our... Um, uh, insights here are reading, I should say. We'll start there. And uh, let's see, where are we? We are in chapter Bantises. That's 26. Bantises for our Sephardic uh, friends out there. We're going to be reading in uh, verse 6. And today's Aliyah is a little bit uh, short, but we have lots to share 
from uh, that we didn't get to from yesterday's Aliyah. So um, in this case, that's kind of a good thing. So let's read and we'll get right to it. So verse 6, it says, So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Oh, here we go again. For he was afraid to say, uh, My wife, lest the men of the place kill him <coughs> because of Rebekah, for she is fair to look upon. Verse 8. And it came to pass, as his days were lengthened, that Abimelech, king of Philistia, gazed down through the window and saw, Behold, Isaac was jesting with his wife, Rebekah. Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, But look, she's your wife. How can you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said that I would be killed because of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people has nearly lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Abimelech then warned all the people, saying, Whoever molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Verse 12, Isaac sowed in the land, and in that year he reaped a hundredfold. Thus had Adonai blessed him. That's the end of the reading. So let's look at our insights and see what we can glean, which is quite a lot today. So, I want to go back, if we can, to the overview of this portion from the Kehot Fumash. Um, just as an aside, uh, for those of you who might be new, many people ask me, you know, what version of the Bible we use, because, um, well, I guess it's just an interesting question people have. We, um, typically, I, I read from the Art Scroll Chumash. Let me just lift it up for you so that you can see it. Many of you have this already, but some of you may not. This is the Art Scroll Chumash. There's the, uh, the side picture there you can see. If you go to artscroll.com, you can uh, purchase this Chumash. It's full of commentary. It has all the Torah portions in it, all the Haftorah portions in it, and the five Megillot. Um, along with uh, a great deal of commentary, as I just said. It comes from the, uh, the stone edition is what's used. The stone edition of the Tanakh is what's used there. And so there's that um, Chumash. There is the Kehot, that's spelled K-E-H-O-T, Chumash. There's the Gutnik Chumash. And we'll use uh, many of those. We use lots of different literature here, but th those are the three Chumashim. I don't think I'm leaving anything else out as far as Humashim go that we use. So here's an insight here about Isaac and the, and the role that Isaac fulfilled. It says, the picture the Torah presents us of Isaac seems in many ways the antithesis of all that we know about his father Abraham. It says, true that Isaac is no less devoted to carrying out God's will than is Abraham and even and is even prepared to sacrifice his life without hesitation at God's bequest. But in the Torah's account of Isaac's life, we see no expansion of his father's great undertaking of education or educating humanity, no new branches in the family enterprise. Unlike Abraham, Isaac fights no great battles, hardly mingles in world affairs, never leaves the confines of the Holy Land, and takes no additional wives or concubines in order to enlarge his, his immediate family beyond the two children born to him from his one wife. He says, uh, it says, he seems content to passively let life unfold around him. 
he is much more passively acted upon by events and circumstances than actively initiating them. In fact, his life is so bereft of activity that although he lived the longest of the patriarchs, he is the subject of only one parasha, in contrast to Abraham and Sarah, uh, three and Jacob's six parashot. So we, we learn the least about Isaac. We don't, we ha- he has the least amount of, of, of chapters written about him. <coughs> he does something really big, which is go to Mount Moriah. But after that, he doesn't really have seemingly and ha- have a very impactful life, not like Abraham, not like Jacob. So what are we to learn from this? What are we to glean from this particular insight? And I think that I would like to suggest that the reason that we don't see so much activity from Isaac as we do perhaps from Abraham and, Ye- and Jacob is because Isaac's role in this, this realm, if you will, this dimension, this, this, this world, was to, to be the example, the type, the shadow of what is known as Messiah ben Yosef. If you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard me teach about this, but there are actually two messiahs. Now, the the messiahs are one and the same, but from the Jewish point of view, there are actually two. Um, And as I said, they're one and the same, but they have two distinct roles. They come for two distinct missions. The idea that is is very often put out in Judaism, that, that one reads on, well, any given website or Jewish whatever, the idea that there's only one Messiah and that when the Messiah comes, he's going to establish peace on earth, which is what every Miss America candidate prays for, that, that the idea that that's the Messiah and that's what's going to happen is completely antithetical to Judaism. What do I mean by that? Because many people have said that Yeshua can't be the Messiah. Why? Because he, when he came, he didn't gather in the 12 tribes. He didn't create uh, peace on earth. He didn't uh, bring about the temple. He didn't bring about the uh, Messianic reign. And so he can't be the Mashiach. It's very simple. And most people say, oh, that's right. He didn't do it. So uh, obviously he can't be the Mashiach. The presumption is, the inference is, that when the Mashiach comes, he's going to do those things which is not at all what Judaism teaches. What Judaism teaches, when Mashiach comes initially, he's going to be coming as Messiah ben Yosef, which means the Messiah, son of Yosef. Why Yosef? Why is he called Messiah ben Yosef? Because Yosef was the brother who was rejected by his brothers and suffered because of his brothers and suffered on their behalf. And as a result of his suffering... And as a result of him being uh, rejected by his brothers, and as a result of all but dying because of his brothers, he was able to save his brothers. Yosef, the one brother who was rejected, was the one who became, and I quote, according to the Midrash Rabbah, the quote, savior of the world, end quote. So when the Messiah comes, the rabbis teach in the oral Torah that when the Messiah comes, that he's going to come and die for the sins of Israel. And then at some point he will be resurrected and return Messiah ben David, that's Messiah son of David, 
um, and he will rule and reign. And then that's when peace on earth, that's when the Miss America pageant contestants uh, dreams will come true and the uh, peace will be established on earth. Now, the reason that people are able to reject JC and tell the, the Christian he can't be the Messiah is because they haven't studied oral Torah because they've been told, A, it doesn't exist, and B, if it did exist, you shouldn't read it because it's evil. So going back to Isaac, the reason that Isaac doesn't play some type of active role, the reason that, that Isaac's life becomes relatively passive after this is because he's fulfilled his mission. He did what he was supposed to do. He came to lay his life down. The image of the father laid his life down on the altar to provide atonement for his children. That's what Messiah ben Yosef is supposed to do. Later, we see somebody rise up. Much later, I should say. Much later, we see somebody rise up seemingly out of nowhere uh, to, to lead the children into their literal freedom. Who is that person? Moses. So Moses is the type of the Messiah ben David figure. And I want you to notice something. That the Messiah ben David figure who shows up seemingly out of nowhere to lead the people uh, into their promised land, as it were, was the man who was rejected by his people. They, they remember the people said, what, what, you, 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 who, who made you judge over us? Okay. They rejected Moses too. And he was sent off into the wilderness in shame and disgrace, having fallen from his princely place, as it were. Nevertheless, he was a Mashiach ben David. So, ben David. so we have these, these two images. Now there's many different types and shadows, but this is just an example of another one. It says here that Isaac, another uh, idea from the insights, it says Isaac understood, and in all likelihood, so did Abraham, that as revolutionary and necessary as Abraham's work was, it was by nature of limited effect. Abraham's method of disseminating divine consciousness was to spread it to everyone. This is a very, very intriguing insight here from the K.O. Tumash. So we're learning here, as we've learned before, that Abraham wanted to spread the message of monotheism, the mes message of Judaism, the message of Torah observance. And we just learned, we learned yesterday that the reason that God was blessing Isaac was because Abraham was observant. And we learn, there's another insight, maybe we'll have time to get to it today, that just emphasizes the fact that Abraham obeyed the entire Torah, 100%, and he also obeyed the oral Torah. We're going to come to that in a second. Some of you are like, what? How can that be? But we'll, we'll come to that. Anyway, it says here, nevertheless, it had limited effect. He, he, he wanted to spread this to everyone. He wanted to, it says here, to reach the widest possible audience by making no prior demands to his listeners. Now, I want you to follow me closely as we walk through this insight. Because as we're walking through it, I want your mind 
to pay attention to what I'm saying, but I, but also I want you to think for a moment about the book of Acts chapter 15 discussion. Because what's going on there? In the book of Acts and the chapter 15 dis- discussion, they're talking about reaching the non-Jews. Reaching the non-Jews. How do we effectively reach the non-Jews with this message of the Mashiach? By the way, the, the, the Mashiach had, had, the resurrection had occurred like 10 or 15 years previous to this conversation. So no Gentiles have even been approached with the, the quote-unquote gospel until this time. And so here we go back to Abraham to learn what that, disca- that discussion is all about. Because as far as Abraham was concerned, he wanted to reach the whole world, so he did not put any prior demands on his listeners. In other words, he did not make them become Jews before they accepted the covenant. That was his original plan. That was the original idea, because if you're introducing something new, you've got to, you've got to kind of approach it and, and help and reach them where they, where they are at the, at the time. So it says, again, this is from the Kale Tumash uh, Insights. It says, this was really the only way he could succeed in publicizing his message. For since the world was not yet interested in what he had to say, stipulating conditions would have unnecessarily limited his influence. So the point is, listen, in the book of Acts, you have to understand something. These Jewish believers in Yeshua, many of whom were Pharisees, you know, people say, when they read the book of Acts, they say the people, the, the, the believers who were the party of the Pharisees were saying, listen, these people need to get circumcised, they need to eat kosher, they need to, uh, they need to uh, kosher their kitchens, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've heard people say, well, those weren't really the true believers, what are you talking about? They're part of the council. They're, 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 they're having this dialogue. They're having this discussion. And so we talk, we go back to Abraham's. What would happen if Abraham went around telling all of these pagan idolaters who did not have a Bible? You have to understand something. That the people in Rome, the people in, in um, Gaul, the people in Ephesus... These people did not have a New King James Version Bible. They did not have the Ten Commandments in their judge halls like we do today. They did not have societies based upon Judaic ideas. In the United States, in Los Estados Unidos, our entire society, our entire way of life, everything about our Constitution, everything about our judicial system is completely and utterly shaped by the Bible of the Jews, 100%. It wasn't like that in the first century. You're walking into a totally pagan world and you're introducing concepts like love your neighbor as yourself that nobody has heard before. That's what they're dealing with. And that's what Abraham dealt with. And so he said, listen, if he, if he went around telling everybody, listen, I have a covenant and you need to get circumcised. The people never even heard of circumcision. 
They never even heard about the God of Israel. That's not the way you begin the conversation. So he said he didn't put any limitations on them. He didn't put any prerequisites on them because he, that would have unnecessarily limited his influence. First, you've got to teach them about the fact that there is a God. You've got to teach them about um, the love of God. You've got to teach them about what it means to have a faith. We've got to teach them about all these kind of basic things. And then you bring them to the point of saying, okay, let's, now let's discuss obedience. Exactly what they're talking about in the Acts 15 dialogue. Look, we can't put upon them all this kind of stuff. They don't even know anything about anything. It's like you're saying when you're talking to people nowadays and you're wanting them to eat kosher. Sometimes, a lot of times, the best way to begin that process is just to encourage them to um, stop eating pork. Encourage them to eat beef and chicken or whatever, you know, that type of thing. You say, well, that's not really eating kosher. I know, but you can't start out and say, you know what? Welcome. We're glad you're here. First of all, let's empty your freezer and your fridge. Throw it all away. You can't start there. That's not how it works. And so anyway, it says the disadvantage, though, that there's a disadvantage. There's a disadvantage to that approach. It's not 100% foolproof. And it's not the same situation today because it's one of the other points I'm trying to get to. One of the other points I'm trying to get to is that today, the non-Jews that we're dealing with don't have this same situation, not necessarily, not all of them, especially those here in Los Estados Unidos. Here in Los Estados Unidos, every time you go to a hotel room, there's a Bible sitting there. People have been at least to some degree influenced by the word of God. So you're not starting from a a cold turkey, to use a Thanksgiving reference, like you are in in the first century or or like you may be in some other cultures. So it says here, the disadvantage of this this approach was that by not requiring any preparatory work from his audience, Abraham did not affect any permanent change in them. Now, this is very important because many people today can say, listen, we want to take, they take the Acts 15 idea and they just abuse it. Say, well, we don't want to put any prerequisites on people. We want them to come in and kind of learn. But then they never put any observance on them at all, ever. And so the, it's, it's, it's become a faith message. All you need is faith. It's become a grace message. It's, it's all about grace. Don't worry about it. And so the people are not encouraged to do anything that's real, that's tangible, that requires any substantive change. Oh, yeah, you know, be good, be holy, be righteous. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew tobacco, don't go with girls that do, those kinds of things. But other than that, and what is the result of that? The end result of that is, and I quote, no effect and no permanent change in them. The proof in the proverbial pudding is if there is actual change. And change can only come about because we have changed. 
And changed means that we're doing something different today than we did yesterday. Another quote says, they remained essentially unchanged by his teachings. Why? Because they're hearing the word but not doing it. Oh my goodness, I, yes, I just said that. They're hearing it but not doing it. It says, this is not meant to belittle the tremendous impact of Abraham's efforts. It says here, he influenced thousands of people and attracted a sizable following. But... These masses were nourished wholly by his inspiration, by his charisma, by his personal example. When they left his presence and resumed their own lives, their enthusiasm for his teaching waned. What is the, the message being taught here? The message being taught is that they, they were looking at the one who, can I just throw this out there, who died for them and was taught, they who lived for them. So that when they went back home, they weren't encouraged to be like him. It's like people who say, well, the Messiah ate kosher so that I don't, I don't have to. The Messiah wrapped the feelings so I don't have to. The Messiah lived the Jewish life and therefore I don't have to. Which, by the way, is the complete antithesis to what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is somebody who follows his master 100%. 100%. Down to every detail. That's what it means to be a disciple from a biblical point of view. So it says, Isaac thus sensed that the very approach responsible for the outstanding success of his father's program was paradoxically also the great threat to his purpose. Um, uh, perpetuation. Acts 15 was just a way to begin bringing in the, the, the non-Jews. It was not the end all. We're just going to bring them in. We're going to tell them, listen, here's a few things that you need to work on immediately and incidentally. The thing that, that was is most intriguing about the Acts 15 Council is that what came out of there as one of the four prerequisites, prerequisites was actually kosher eating. It says that they're not to eat um, that meat that's been strangled. What does that mean? Have anybody out there ever tried to strangle a cow? No, I'm serious. Have you ever tried to strangle a cow to death? Now, <clears throat> I'm going to submit to you. I am not a rancher, um, but I'm, I'm from Texas. And so uh, I'm born and raised here. And I've seen a lot of cows, and they're everywhere. Um, I'm pretty certain that I couldn't strangle one to death. Uh, and by the time I did that, I wouldn't be hungry anymore. So what, would, what's, what's that, what is that euphemism? Don't eat meat strangled. What does that mean? It means don't eat meat that has not been cautiously slaughtered. That's what it means. Incidentally, you know, we're forbidden to eat meat strangled. Are you aware that in the United States, that the primary way in which chickens and turkeys and fowl in general are slaughtered is by gassing them to death? In other words, by suffocating them? So people say, well, why can't I just go out and buy a non-kosher turkey for Thanksgiving? Isn't that, I mean, it's turkey. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Why? Because the prohibition is that we're not allowed to eat meat strangled. 
that is not properly slaughtered. If you buy a non-kosher turkey, you are eating meat that has been strangled to death. You are, as a, even if you don't believe in the Torah, if you're listening to me today, and you're not yet convinced that the word of God is, is the path for your life, that's the Torah, then um, you, and you, you're, you're a New Testament person, you should at least know that you're not allowed to eat meat that's been strangled. Therefore, you're not allowed to have chicken or turkey that's not kosher slaughtered. <clears throat> Um, incidentally, that's how pigs are slaughtered in the United States mostly today as well, I understand. Um, of course, pork is totally forbidden, but that's beside the point. So, one isn't it fascinating that, that kosher slaughter was one of the prerequisites of the Acts 15 Council? And isn't it interesting that Judaism teaches that kosher eating is a prerequisite to holiness. In other words, if you want people to become holy and begin to live a truly holy life, you've got to get them to start eating kosher because until you start changing, there's something very spiritual about eating the right food because it changes us spiritually and it's considered a prerequisite for holiness. And isn't it interesting that that became part of the four things that they said, this is where we're going to begin. It's not where we end, this is where we start. This is where we begin. We're going to begin with this. That's where we're going to begin. And then we're going to grow from there. But what, But you got to start with kosher eating. That's one of the things. Isn't that fascinating? So anyway, I just have a few seconds here. God, there's so much to share. We're just going to get... We're, I'm, I'm, I've got all my notes. I have literally... I have five books right here full of tabs. We're going to get to it all eventually. But I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. But let me just kind of... Uh, finish my thought here. So Isaac thus sensed that the very approach responsible for the outstanding success of his father's program was paradoxically what would bring it to ruin. Said he understood that in order to ensure the continued success of his father's undertaking, his own discipline, strictness, and rigorous nature had to produce standards. And that would now have to complement his father's loving kindness. His gavura would have to complement the hesed. In other words, mercy and grace must be balanced with obedience. It says, just as his mother's particularism had to complement his father's universalism. So what are we learning here? We're talking about the two messiahs. We learned that Messiah Ben Yosef comes and he's he lay down he lays down his life. He lets people just slap him in the face. He lets people blindfold him and say, "Prophesy to us, Rabbi, Rabbi." Yeah, prophesy to us. Who's hitting you? He lets people beat him. He lets people kick him around. He lets people blaspheme him. Messiah Ben Yosef shows up. And there's none of that. Uh, none of that. He, he, he slays people with the breath of his mouth. So there's a balance. Intense hesed is balanced by gavura, by strictness and strength and judgment. That's what we need in our life, balance. The reason, the problem with most people's spiritual walk is that it's out of balance. And what Torah does for us is it brings balance into our life because it brings together Amuna and it brings together Bitakon. 
because bitakon is trust. And if we trust God, then we'll obey his commandments because we'll believe his word. End of our Aliyah today. We will be back tomorrow with many more insights. There's so much more I want to share with you. And uh, that's going to just require you to be with me tomorrow. So Baruch Hashem. I hope you have a blessed day. Uh, for our community, this is a fast day. We are fasting. Um, and we're fasting specifically that Hashem should bring in the holy sparks, should bring in souls into our communities, uh, into our communities here uh, locally, into our communities in Tulsa and Houston and Kansas City and across the board. And so if you're watching me today and you're brand new, I want to welcome you. Um, I thank God that you're here. We're fasting and praying for you that Hashem should ignite your heart with a passion for His truth. May you be blessed. We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Have a great and beautiful day. Shalom, shalom.